Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to episode 359 with my guest, Daria Politan. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show is part interview and part uh, me reading uh, listener confessions through uh, various surveys that we do. This uh, This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a it's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. It's more actually it's more like that mixed with a circus and a bad buffet uh with a really insecure mater D. I don't know why you would need a mater D for a buffet, but <laughs> um if you don't know yet, um, we finally have a link that enables um, listeners who live in the UK and Canada to be able to use our Amazon link so that when you buy something, uh, Amazon gives uh, me a couple of nickels and it helps support the show and it doesn't make what you're purchasing any more expensive. Uh, and there's just a single um, uh, link for it along with the US link on uh the front of our homepage. Uh, our homepage is metalpod.com. Uh, metalpod is also the Twitter and uh, Instagram uh, name you can uh, you can follow me at. I'm going to read a couple of surveys before uh, we get to the interview with uh, Daria. Uh, this is from a struggle in a sentence survey, and this was filled out by anonymous Ashley, and she writes about her depression. Uh, it feels like I'm being dragged down to the bottom of the ocean with an anchor tied to my feet, and instead of throwing life vests, everyone just keeps throwing me more anchors. That is so good. Uh, Sabrina writes uh, about her depression. Um, she, she gives us actually a snapshot um, from her life that highlights her struggle with depression. On my way back home from work, I have to walk by a big house. I always thought that it had a, quote, traditional warmth to it. I don't know the American equivalent, 
Uh, it houses a group of children under the care of social workers. I catch glimpses of their lives through the year, learning how to ride a bike, eating snacks, and doing their homework outside when the days are getting warmer, hanging homemade Christmas decorations in the garden. But most of all, adults providing structure, but also understanding and kindness, simple and peaceful moments of daily life that I've never experienced. And here I am, a 30-year-old woman, fascinated, sad, envious, trying not to stare, and sometimes getting too overwhelmed, then crossing the street and wiping away the tears. I dread that time of year. I love it, and I dread it. Wow, that one really, uh, boy, you captured a feeling right there that I think so many, many of us that came from emotionally uh, fucked up households can really, really relate to. Um, thank you for that. It's Christmas has always felt so phony to me because it never, I never got the feeling of joy outside of opening a present, which I don't think, you know, is really what the spirit of Christmas is supposed to be about. But I would, I would love if there was a way that they could make Christmas not phony, that would be awesome. Maybe dysfunctional families, they can start making Christmas ornaments for us. Oh, what is that on the tree? Is that a little ambulance? That's so cute. Oh, what, what a little wheel? What is that? Oh, the cycle of abuse. That's nice. That's nice. You could send out Christmas cards, but instead of a picture of... of you, it would be pictures of families that you envy. And on, <laughs> on the inside of the card, you could just write how you plan to numb your sadness about not being a part of that family this year. I'm going to eat ice cream. I'm still battling ice cream. Oh, my God. Let's not talk about it. Let's not go there. I don't know. I don't know who, who that... Uh, guest of the show was that just popped in, but uh, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself too far gone um, about his uh, alcoholism and drug addiction, like a warm blanket on a cold night, about his sex addiction, my hands are so tired, about his anger issues, fuck you, uh, snapshot from his life. I've stretched and stressed every relationship I've had. Now, even my family is shutting me out. I don't know how to be social and refuse to bring people into my dark, sad world. I hate affecting others' mood with my sadness. I want to seek help, but I know I'll just bullshit my way to normalcy. The only thing I really want are the meds, but I know I would have to interact with the person to get them. In the past month, I've thought of four different ways and six different locations to kill myself. Maybe it's just the holidays. Thank you for that survey, that uh, that last part. I don't know if you intended that last sentence to be funny, but it, 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 it made me laugh. Um, you know, I had a couple of thoughts about this. The first one is, if you really are a drug addict or an alcoholic, um, meds are not going to help. You know, my psychiatrist refused to treat me until I dealt with my alcoholism. And I'm grateful because I think I probably would have drank myself to death or shot myself. And I had to get sober to 
even begin to have a chance to find meds that work. And um, don't try to judge anybody out there that wants to change. A part of that might be asking for help and surrendering to the reality that help might come in a form you haven't predicted or you might not be crazy about, but it might be the best thing that ever happened to you. You can't ask for help and then try to manage all the aspects of being helped. That is, you're working at cross purposes, and I see it happen all the time in support groups. People that don't, they just want to kind of uh, uh, cherry pick what what they want to do. Well, you know, if what we only, if only what we wanted to do could keep us healthy, we wouldn't have to ask for help. Um, yeah, there's a there's a phrase in a lot of support groups which is contrary action, and so much of recovery involves contrary action, but it also brings about contrary feelings, like instead of sadness, joy or peace or other things. Um, This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a secretive, and she writes about her depression clinical. It feels like I am so far behind everyone who is succeeding, and I will never catch up. About her anxiety, I'm speeding in a car with no brakes, approaching a busy intersection. Snapshot from her life. My anxiety and depression have gotten so bad that once during a panic attack, I felt the need to bang my head on the floor in order to get myself to calm down. It worked, but I do not feel good about that technique. (laughs) Your guys' surveys are an early Christmas present to me. Um, Especially the shame and secrets are the... uh, struggle in a sentence surveys this week there is you have managed to put like a uh an awful moment within within these uh surveys it's it's like a tur what do they call it uh tur duncan what is it the chicken inside of a turkey with i don't know like a mint in the ass of a <laughs> pigeon inside of a i don't know I've taken that bit far enough. This is a a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself trying to heal. And she writes, "Uh, Yesterday I spent the day with my wife. We went to a museum. Both her and I get anxiety when we're around a lot of people and loud sounds. And usually that gets the best of us and ruins our time. Not yesterday. We didn't get frustrated or overly anxious while kids were running around and screaming, doing regular kids stuff, or when the other adults would run into us and make us feel like we didn't exist. I felt so proud of us that we didn't let it ruin our amazing day. After the museum, we just talked with each other until we fell asleep. The best part of that was my wife wasn't on her phone while we were talking, and I felt so important and listened to. It was truly the best day I've had in what feels like years. I love I love things like that, where they're just nice and simple and, and uh, yeah... My a, a nice day for me actually involves a lot of the same things you just described, but in a different order. In my thing, um, I'm forced to go to the museum. I fall asleep at the museum, and then I'm listened to, and we get to leave, and I feel free. 
there, I get museum legs. I don't know if anybody else does, but 45 minutes, it usually, like, honestly, not even 45 minutes, like, I'd say about 10 minutes of looking at Greek vases, and I, that should be, actually, they should, for people that have insomnia, they should just have somebody come to your home and start talking to you about a Greek vase, and you would be asleep in seconds. Uh, this is just a portion of a Shame and Secrets survey uh, filled out by Lex, and I wanted to um, read this. Uh, she writes, uh, and she had been um, molested by her father. Um, and she writes, sometimes, though, uh, I just want someone to push the feelings away, and I can't do it with my family, because even though they are aware it happened, I never gave, gave them any details and wouldn't want to discuss it with them. And my boyfriend, the one person I have told in full detail, I just feel like I make him mad when I'm having one of my bad days. He tries to make me feel better over text, and it never works out, and I think it frustrates him a lot. I don't want to hold it in all the time, but at the same time, I feel I have no one to talk to. This is a really, really common problem, and in my marriage, this was a, a problem for the first 15 years of it because I didn't realize my, now my ex-wife, but my wife just wanted me to listen. She didn't want me to try to fix her. And I imagine your boyfriend probably thinks that you're asking him to solve some type of problem for him. So maybe let him know, I'm not looking for you to do anything except listen to me and help me feel validated um, and remind me that you love me. Uh, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by, hmm, oh, uh, <laughs> I love this name. Uh, no, I can definitely take criticism. The tears mean nothing uh, about her bipolar depression. Each time the hole seems even deeper, each time it's harder and harder to pull myself out, and each time people get more frustrated and less willing to help. About her social phobia, the only thing that scares me more than people is not being scared of people. That's when they hurt you. About her dermatillomania, I didn't do well on my in-class essay. My pr professor says I didn't write enough. I say it's difficult to hold a pencil when the skin is missing from your fingertips. About being a sex crime victim, I have you listed in my phone just to be sure I'd never answer. Your profile pic is a big red X, and the name that shows up is no, 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 no. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, JF, uh, in talking about her anxiety, writes, very physical, in my chest, up my neck, clenched teeth, a lot of physical pain from being so tensed up, muscular and stomach pain. I, I constantly find myself driving and squeezing the shit out of the wheel for no reason. And I keep reminding myself, you don't have to grip the wheel so hard. I, I don't know what, what it is. Um, like I was, I was cooking yesterday and, and I had a spatula, it was a plastic spatula, and I was just doing something so hard, the spatula snapped in half. 
I don't, I don't understand why I suppose we're, we're filled with anxiety and, uh, that's one way of letting it out. I don't know, but it fucking sucks when you're not even aware of that. And then about her BPD, uh, borderline personality disorder, she writes, it feels like my mind is being ripped in half. I have an image of my heart as shattered glass that gets taped together and shattered again. I also have a wall I cannot breach, maybe more of a vault. I don't know what's in there, but I can't touch it. I got a firm no from inside me, but not like a thought, a feeling. Thank you for that. That that seems like a really, really great distilled um, description from what I've heard people who have borderline personality disorder uh, describe. I love when you guys fucking knock it out of the park with a uh, struggle in a sentence. Um, let me tell you about one of our uh, our sponsors, uh, Omaha Steaks. They uh, they sent me a uh, package uh, last week, and I bought a new grill, and I invited my buddy Carlos and his girlfriend and Carlos's son and his girlfriend over. And well, let me tell you what was in the package. Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, uh, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, uh, one Omaha Steaks seasoning packet, plus four additional kielbasa sausages. It was awesome. Obviously, the five of us didn't eat all of that, but we sampled all the different things, and it was so good. And one of the things that I like is they give you a little cooking guide. So let's say you want your your filet cooked medium rare. It tells you how much, uh, how many minutes on the first side, when to turn it, and then how many minutes on the second side. So I was a- able, actually, to grill all of this stuff and have it come out um done perfectly and it was delicious and everybody loved it and they carried me off on their shoulders that last part might not be true but um i highly recommend it and uh for only 49.99 you can get that family gift pack that i just told you about uh when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter my code mental in the search bar that's 75% off that you're getting there and it's exclusively uh for you guys the listeners um so you get all that stuff for less than 50 bucks. So go to omahasteaks.com, enter my code MENTAL in the search bar, and get a 75% savings. It's the gift guaranteed to be a hit. And uh, speaking of food, I still cannot shake this fucking obsession of eating sweets over-the-counter like a raccoon on its hind legs every night before I go to bed. There is some feeling I don't want to feel. Maybe it's I'm afraid of living on my own. Uh, Maybe it's I'm afraid I'm going to be alone forever. Uh, I I don't know. Maybe it's my fear that um, I'm going to run out of money and die penniless. I, I don't know. And, uh, 
I, I've told you before that our, our uh, one of our sponsors is BetterHelp.com, and uh, Donna is my therapist there. We do video therapy uh, once a week. Um, I love it, and we've been talking about this, trying to get to the root of what's underneath this, and she said, well, next time um, you find yourself going to the kitchen before you go to bed, or, or sometimes when I can't sleep, I'll get up and do it. Um, instead of doing it, sit down with a pad and a paper and just write down what you're thinking and feeling. And I said, fuck you. And I hung up. No, I said, yeah, I'll try to do that. And uh, tried to judge to see if she believed that I would ever actually do that. If the feeling is so fucking uncomfortable when I when I crave sugar. And I don't crave it any other time of the day. I don't even think about it. I don't know. I'm sure there are other people that relate to that, but um, I'll let you know if we make any progress on that. And um, uh, as I mentioned, betterhelp.com, they're a sponsor. Uh, if you want to try them, I highly recommend them. Go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Um, we'll, we'll, I'll put links to all this stuff on the um show notes for this episode on our website. Uh, go to betterhelp.com slash mental, complete a questionnaire, they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor, and then you can experience a free week of uh, counseling to see if online counseling is uh, right for you. You need to be over 18. And you can communicate with your therapist, either uh, video, uh, phone, uh, live text, uh, email, yeah, whatever. All right. And then finally, this is a... Uh, this is a struggle in the sentence um, filled out by Amy. And she writes, uh, Mother would be happier if I had anorexia. Father would be happier if he could drink himself to death. I would be happier if I could stop lying to myself that this doesn't bother me. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting, different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the Akazai in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what kills us. And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I'm here with Daria Politan. And uh, you got a new book out that I want to talk about uh, first, mm -hmm. um, Devil in Ohio. It's based on uh, true events. It is. It was inspired by a true story that um, made its way to me through a manager producer. And um, I'd actually written a, a pilot about a cult because... I was really interested in what happens to people in isolated communities. 
And so I did a lot of research into cults and I um, ended up writing this pilot and she read it and she said, I have a story you need to tell. Um, so she put me in touch with the woman who went through the experiences that I um, fictionalize and tell in the book. And, um, and I thought that a novel, you know, I work in a couple of different mediums. I started writing plays. Uh, I write TV now. Um, but I felt like a novel was the right way to take this form of the story. Um, it's very personal reading a novel and it's very, um, it's a very close relationship that you have with the, with the main characters. And I really wanted to get in really close and dig deep into their POVs and see what was going on through their eyes. Um, it, it, the reviews are amazing on Amazon. It's uh, five stars across the across the board. Oh, I thank you. It's, it's a best selling <laughs> list. It is. Um, when I saw uh, the thing from from your PR person, um, I thought cults are a great topic for this. And even though it's a fictionalized thing, I feel like anybody. First of all, anybody who writes in TV is a little crazy. And anybody who's interested in cults uh, has a dark side to them. And so I said, as long as uh, she's willing to talk about her childhood and what draws her to the story and sure. stuff like that, and she's willing to open up and and be uh, transparent and give the reader or the listeners uh, um, some some insight into her life, yeah. uh, let's let's do it. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, where do we where do we start? You're also well, a playwright. You've yes. had a lot of success. You won a Kennedy Center Award yes. for Best One Act Play. Yes, I started out as a playwright. I um, I grew up in Boston. I went to Boston University undergrad. I did theater there, and I wrote my first play there. Um, you got your MFA at Columbia too, right? I did in yeah. playwriting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I wrote my first play. They uh, produced it for the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival. It it won. I it got published. I said, Oh, I like this playwriting thing. <laughs> this door's opening. <laughs> I think I'll step through this one. Um, so then I moved to New York. I did uh, plays. I did, you know, scrappy black box. Let's just put, throw stuff against the wall and, um, did a lot of theater there. Uh, got my master's in playwriting from Columbia. Uh, and then eventually, while still keeping my hand in playwriting, became interested in TV because I felt like TV was a really expanding medium that was starting to have really complex characters and stories. And with the number of outlets for streaming and storytelling opening up, they're telling more and more nuanced and it's um, amazing. niche stories. It's, it's amazing. What, what a golden age for... Uh, for TV, it, it's funny because Edge used to be something that when it was the big three, they avoided totally. And now it's <laughs> like you better have Edge if you want to grab, yeah, walk, uh, viewers. Totally. I wrote a pilot uh, that that started with like a, a raunchy, rough sex scene, and I thought, oh no, this is probably too much. And my agent was like. All pilots right now are starting with raunchy, rough sex scenes, yes. so maybe you can find something different. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Wow, I'm passe. <laughs> who, who knew? I know. Um, what What was your home life uh, like uh, growing up as a child? If you can share kind of any uh, seminal moments or just kind of vignettes from your life that you think are emblematic of um, 
Yeah, childhood. I I grew up in uh, outside of Boston um, with my mom and my sister, and um, my dad is actually was uh, he he passed away this summer. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, he was from Egypt, and so and had a lot of family in the UK and uh, Europe, and so I grew up traveling a lot and i grew up um you know traveling i've been to five continents you know i just grew up with a very um like uh feeling that it was that it was easy and to move around the world and and i and i grew up around a lot of different cultures and languages and um so i think that had you know, looking back, a big effect on me. Um, and I also went to like a Waldorf school, which is very creative and artistic. And um, my my parents got separated and um, subsequently divorced, but starting from when I was about three or four. So I think like with the instability of the home life, even though my mom um always really encouraged my own creativity i would write stories i would draw you know she was always getting me new crayon set or markers and um sketchbooks and so i think because of the instability that i grew up with i i was kind of an introvert and i um i lived in the world of stories in my head and i i created those spaces um in my imagination what were some uh books or tv shows or things that uh, really kind of caught your attention and made you feel like um i'm not alone in this world hmm. good question we weren't i didn't watch tv when i w was really little um except for like sesame street and um uh, three, two, one contact. And, uh, <laughs> um, th there was one segment of one of those shows called MathNet, which I really loved. And they solved that says everything. problems. <laughs> that says everything. We can wrap this whole thing My up. Math. We're done talking about your childhood. We, we know all we need. All we you need to it. know. Yeah. We even know the things that people said when they picked on you. <laughs> no, Indeed. but go ahead. Um, yeah, I really liked myths. I really liked, um, I, I used to like recreate, you know, uh, books where I would like write an illustrative like St. George and the Dragon, you know, or like um, Norse myths, Greek myths. I really liked those kind of um, otherworldly, val you know, um, I liked uh, Sir Camelot, Sir Lancelot, um yeah, I was real. I built like in third grade. I built. Um, we had to build homes as like a project, and I built a castle with like real rocks. Like I was really into. I never thought about that. That's very interesting. I was really into um, castles and medieval culture. I guess because it's very like brave and valiant, and part of me needed to connect with that um, to feel brave and valiant in my own world. That um, was was challenging as a child to grow up in where do you think the the need to to feel uh valiant was what do you feel like you needed to be brave against loneliness isolation 
um, not having a dad in your life as much as you wanted? Yeah, I think it's a defense against the lo- the loss. Yeah. A defense against um, the feeling of being abandoned um, or the instability of someone coming in and out of my life. Um, if I had that inner strength and groundedness and was brave and valiant like Sir Lancelot, then that wouldn't affect me, you know, where my dad was, if he was with us or, um, or away or, you know, so, yeah. Did you ever think or feel if I could be more, my dad would be in my life more? Or did you not take it personally? Um, did you try to, um, present things to him sure. in the hopes that it would make him yeah i mean my dad was very smart and i think that i tried to um show off my intellect um i used to ask him to quiz me and ask me questions so that i could answer them and he could see that i was smart and um and you know it's interesting now uh looking back <laughs> at 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 uh the the path that I've chosen in my own psychology and why and then sort of like having an understanding of where that comes from I mean I'm in one, one of the most difficult uh uh paths of work there is but I just littered with dysfunctional <laughs> control freaks sure but I like the challenge of it I I, I, I thrive, I I love it. I thrive in it because it's worth it to me to be able to tell stories. Um, but yeah, I've picked something where I am my own version of Sir Lancelot. (laughs) That's, that's so beautiful. Yeah. It's funny. Becoming a creative person is like an attempt to go through therapy, but you get paid. Yeah, I do both. (laughs) Uh, Hold that thought, because I do want to know the things that you touch on in therapy and and how that has helped you. You know, one of the reasons I started this podcast is I thought somebody needs to be a cheerleader for getting professional help and demystifying um, the and and destigmatizing um, the 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 bravery in asking for help. Sure. and, And the. Um, intelligence of asking for help. It's funny. We would never consider a uh, military general uh, weak or stupid for calling for reinforcements when he's stuck in a battle. Or understanding the playing field. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really what you are essentially seeking when you are doing therapy or asking for help you're you're seeking greater understanding of yourself mm-hmm. it's not about the other person it's about you and understanding yourself and understanding your own unconscious choices your own patterning the the, the glasses that you've been looking at the world through even though you didn't know you were wearing glasses isn't that incredible it's <laughs> and incredible then, yeah and then once you have an understanding of that then you have choice then you cannot keep acting that way if you want or you can act differently and it really frees you up once you 
have an understanding. I mean, the general's going to look at the strategy, strategy, the general, I work on a CIA show, so, you know. Like, uh, which you is know. coming out soon. Yes, ja- coming, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Yeah. It's yeah. coming out uh, next year on Amazon. Um, and, but yeah, nobody goes into battle without uh, under having an understanding of, of what the goals are and, and understanding the playing field and, well, Custer you know, did. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and he had Fair. it coming. What a prick. <laughs> Seriously, what a fucking prick that guy was. If you read anything about him, he was just an it, racist egomaniac. Sure. Yeah. Well, as opposed to all the other uh, people that <laughs> decimated uh, Native American culture that were great people otherwise. Uh, he was really nice. Yeah. He had a good side. <laughs> Just like Hitler, he put on a nice parade. Yeah. Everybody overlooks that. Did you know he was an artist? He was a vegetarian. You eat meat. He wouldn't you're, hurt you're, a fly. You eat just meat. A you, Jew. You're worse than Hitler. <laughs> don't think I've never thought that to myself. Um, so, uh, you prizing your intellect and feeling a sense of power that uh, in that as a as a kid. Was it a battle for you then to get in touch with your emotions as you began to realize I something in my life needs to change? Or have you always been pretty in touch with your emotions? I've always been in touch with my emotions probably a, um, a lot. Like, I used to cry very easily. Um, I was, and still am, um, very sensitive um emotionally so that was never a struggle um i think it was when i came to writing i figured out oh i can have an outlet for all these emotions oh i can put a character name on this and that's a great scene (laughs) i can see if people love her without me asking for love or having needs yeah exactly or get really mad at that other person for mistreating me or you know how great is it letting out the dark side and the anger and stuff through it's great creativity because it's all i mean i study jungian psychology so it's like it's all there. The shadow is there. The dark stuff, it's, you can pretend it's not. You can repress it. You cannot deal with it. Um, but that, to me, that doesn't, it, it's there and it's going to rear its ugly head in some mm-hmm. form, way, way, shape or form. So I'd, my, I might as well have an understanding of it and, and grapple with it. Um, in, so that I have some kind of, I don't want to say control, but like mastery over over dealing with it and differentiating it from uh, what's actually happening. Because a lot of times those um, deep, dark, angry, you know, you could you, someone I remember once I, I used to not um, get angry. I, I think I think in general, anger is not super acceptable coming from women it's societally it's like not that's an understatement (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's like oh you you know she's a bitch or crazy but you know like it's not i think men have some better more processing for it like oh let's go out and wrestle or fight or shoot gun like it's yell at the screen like Mm -hmm. i think it's a, a little bit more okay societally and and i was when i first started therapy i was talking to my therapist and i was like yeah i i don't get angry that much Except <laughs> last week, I like I was trying to find a parking spot in um, one of those structures in Beverly Hills where I there's. I love how it comes out in the most <laughs> innocuous places. I know. There was they're like park over there. I'm like, 
there was no place to park there. And I blew up at the parking attendant. Poor guy. Well, he deserved it. (laughs) There was no place to park there. Let's be fair. He'd been abusing you your whole life. (laughs) Exactly. And it's time you stood your ground. I projected all the years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I realized, oh, okay. You know, like it's there and it's usually when it comes out, it's, it's really triggering. When... When a response in the moment is disproportionate to the offense or to the situation, it's usually triggering some old trauma um, that sometimes just sits right below the surface and just yes. needs one little missing parking spot to to release the hounds of hell. <laughs> now, why would you unleash on a male figure that wasn't really listening to you? <laughs> Gee, I'm not sure. (laughs) That makes no sense to me. Uh, Share a moment um, in your book where you could let out your dark side and you felt like, oh, fuck, I would love to do this in real life or something similar to it or something that felt cathartic for you personally that's hard to admit. Um, okay, yes, this is part of why. Okay, so uh, let me I'll explain a little bit of the setup of the book and then um, tell you why I chose to tell the story a certain way. So the book is about a young woman, a 16 year old who escapes from a satanic cult. Uh, she's with a carving of a pentagram on her back. She ends up going to the hospital. She meets this psychiatrist in the hospital, and the psychiatrist takes her home to live with her own family, where she has a 15-year-old daughter, so uh, about the same age. And did that also happen oh, in yeah. real life? Okay, because yes, yes. it's based on Yes, that this. happened, yeah. Okay. Um, through the course of the book, the mother kind of ends up becoming obsessed with helping the girl because she has her own trauma backstory and becomes sort of blinded by, you know, help it essentially helping this younger version of herself we can get into that but i chose to tell the 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 point of the the book through the point of view of the daughter of the psychiatrist this 15 year old girl who's kind of a wallflower her name's jewel she's going about her life she comes home one day and this weird girl is sitting in her kitchen bleeding from her back like through her sweatshirt you know so i um the question of the book through Jules's eyes is, who is this girl? Is she, it, it, what, what, ha, have the effects of being in the cult, are they so lasting that she can't get out of it mentally? Is she, is essentially, is she evil? So the girls become close. It's a little single white female. The girls become mm-hmm. close and then, you know, things start to happen that Jules questions May, the girl from the cult's intentions. And she's like, is she trying to ruin my life here? And I tell it through, it it eventually becomes like gets to a place where Jules starts to take action, where she's the one who actually seems kind of evil. Mm. So it kind of is about, you know, uh, the age-old question, good and evil, the, the 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 grapple between that. But really, I wrote it through Jules's first-person point of view because it's really an interior monologue of her expressing her deep dark feelings about, you know, this 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 girl in her life and eventually taking over her life and eventually stealing her mother's love, eventually, you know, fracturing the family. Um, and it goes dark and she 
she is mean and jealous and angry and all of these dark feelings come out um because we are in Jules's interior monologue things she would never say out loud um and it's interesting some people I've, you know, I try not to read too many the the you know r- reviews online but you know uh, it was interesting to hear some remarks of like oh Jules is so um uh she was so petty and jealous. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. No, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But like, and no, no, you're like, you like, what do you really think of your coworker who took the last fucking donut? Like, I mean, yeah, like real, like I tried to be really honest about and present those, um, the, the range and the complexity, how you can be, you know, really angry and upset at someone and also pass, you know, hand them the salt, whatever, you, you know, like that both of those things exist. You, you can, you, and there's a huge difference between what you're thinking and feeling, which you have no control over and what you do with it. Exactly. 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 I mean, if, like, if people could hear our thoughts, exactly, we'd have no friends or yeah. <laughs> everybody would be friends. Right. Like, I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that so the the book became an opportunity to look, you know, through the lens of this story and through the lens of this teenage girl. Um, you know, I think YA is like the the big the big young feelings adult. and young adult is the big feelings and emotions that all that everyone has and they're just sort of in the context of of teenager like people who happen to be teenagers, but it has like the big emotions that I feel um, as a as a non teenager, just a little older than a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, it, it was an opportunity to really explore uh, for me, like the those deeper, di- darker um, feelings that come okay. up. Share share some if you're comfortable. Some some things that are difficult for you to say. Here's a situation. Where here's what I was thinking and feeling, oh my and, goodness. and this informed. And you don't have to name necessarily the name of the person that you had these feelings towards or the situation, but sure. Um, well, I mean, I can, I can. What comes to mind very easily is, um, you know, I'm in a very competitive field, and uh, I. It's very easy for me to feel jealous and competitive, you know, when I hear about, you know, a friend selling a show or writing this movie or getting nominated for something like those feelings are right there. I think um, as I, I bec- as I've, you know, m- matured and, and been able to articulate that those things trigger that for me i i can all i can have those feelings i know where they come from i can tell you where they come from um but i can also say okay well the world isn't uh you know uh um meritocracy yeah or like a um a lack mental like just right. because that person got something doesn't mean i can't get nominated yes. for an emmy right. like it's, it, it's one of my friends it's said, not mutually exclusive right yeah. is one of my friends said uh your success is not my failure exactly exactly yeah. um and where so, do they come from oh finish um, your thought first uh yeah i mean i i can i can 
say say a, a female friend gets you know sells a show or gets a promotion or something and i i immediately get like like a wave of jealousy i think that's from growing up with my sister and there being a, a perceived limited amount of love and attention. So the little kid in me gets very jealous because I want, you know, mommy and daddy's love too. And there's not enough to go around and I got to get mine. Like there was so, my chance and she took it and she took it. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the feeling that it triggers. Um, even though it's just essentially a colleague who sold a show. Great. Mm -hmm. There's 449 other shows on TV mm -hmm. and there'll be more, you know, like, mm -hmm. so once then I, when I can differentiate it, then I can um, not, you know, cellophane my extreme triggered reaction of old, really old hurt, old feelings, old pain onto the current situation. And I can differentiate them and be like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. You're feeling oh, your sister stuff. Okay, great. You know, and then like, oh, congratulations. So and so like, that's great. Like, you, you, you worked hard. You deserve it. You know, mm -hmm. great. So have yeah. you, have you ever had the thought pop into your head? When somebody you were jealous of experiences a downfall or something oh, being sure. canceled, yeah. it's the same. Same thing. It's the same thing. I think that trigger. That's the same response of like, oh, she's down. I, I it me time for me. You mm. know, like finally I can step over her. <laughs> yeah, her wriggling body <laughs> yeah. as she sobs. I can and stride toward Netflix. <laughs> I, can, I can splash through her puddle of tears. <laughs> On my way and get to the... my own deal at CBS. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for for sharing that. You know, it's it's um, it's. I think one of the things that that people that continues the negative self talk we have in our brains when we think or feel things that we believe make us a bad person. When in reality, like Jung said. Everybody has a shadow self. Mm -hmm. It's uh, half the battle in life, I think, is accepting that we have that shadow self and yes. saying, how can I manage this without berating myself? How can yes. I be my best friend? Um, there's a, a guy named uh, Carl Marlantes, uh, who was actually featured in the Ken Burns, uh, Lynn Novak uh, documentary about Vietnam. Oh, cool. And he wrote an amazing book about the shadow self hmm. um, called What It's Like to Go to War. Hmm. And he uh, talks about embracing that and how we deal with returning vets in a way um, that does not prepare them to reintegrate to society, that mm -hmm. we don't have any kind of, we have all these ceremonies to send them off mm -hmm. and we have none when they need it the most, mm. when they come back. We yeah. don't have it when a woman uh, goes through childbirth or especially uh, loss Mm -hmm. uh, during uh, childbirth mm -hmm. um, or miscarriage. We mm -hmm. don't have anything. They're, we're mm -hmm. just like, uh, oh, here's a Hallmark card. Mm -hmm. Good luck to you. Mm -hmm. Hey, hide out until you're better. Yeah, because I'm uncomfortable with emotions. <laughs> exactly. We, yeah. we, there's such a lack of emotional modeling in, in our society. I, I think, and I hate to be in my soapbox, I talk about this all the time, but... 
why the fuck are we t- wasting time teaching algebra instead of a class on how to recognize and express your emotions, mm-hmm. how to communicate, how to yes. find sentences to express your needs or set boundaries? Yes. I, 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 God, in my lifetime, I would love to see that change on a, a wide scale. Yeah. I, I think it would help every single aspect yeah. of our society. Yeah. Or, or at the very least couldn't hurt. Sure. To, to try. Yeah. Um, it's revolutionary yeah, thinking it, that way would, in our, the way our, our world is right now. Yeah. But we have to be revolutionaries. Yeah. I, I, we do. <laughs> yeah. We do. Um, I was at a conference, um, a young adult book conference in, uh, outside Chicago a couple weekends ago. And, um, the keynote speaker was Nicola Yoon. Um, she wrote Everything, Everything, which is going to be a movie. Um, and one of the things she taught, she said that really struck me was that books breed empathy and that the um, experience of we're afraid of things we don't know, we, we uh, don't we, we hate things we don't understand. Right. So mm-hmm. when you read a book, you are you are with the the um the characters in it and so you become empathetic to their situations because because you're putting yourself in those situations through the through the experience of reading and you know it 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 dawned on me that it's like it's not a given there were a lot of librarians at the at this conference and i was like i didn't they were like on the the cutting edge of revolution because reading's not a given anymore you know there's unless you count texts and emojis yes so uh and and you don't always give empathy to the to the text (laughs) or like feel (laughs) empathy um so it's really interesting to start to think about um that the the idea of 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 learning how to cultivate empathy for others for ourselves and that that's gonna take effort now it's not it's not built into like you said our educational system it's not even necessarily coming sort of alongside just you grow up and to entertain yourself you read books because or play in this you know like play with other kids in a sandbox like those don't really happen as much anymore than um even a couple of decades ago so so we are going to need to uh, figure out how to address that as a whole. Um, otherwise, what's happening now just <laughs> keeps happening. And it's this very, uh, you know, uh, incendiary world where people are otherized very quickly. Yes. And all the all the deep, dark shadow uh, things within us, if we don't, we're not dealing with them, you just project them onto the other other country other religion um things you don't understand things you things you know and um it's it's it becomes very black and white and very mm. incendiary um very quickly and it's um it's very uh interesting times to be uh looking at psychology and how we treat people um yeah. One of the things that I would love to see change is the idea that uh, compassion and uh, giving someone consequences are mutually exclusive. Um, hmm. 
using it as an opportunity to say, what brought this about? Mm -hmm. What is the root of this? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it's emotionally satisfying to um, uh, demonize somebody who has hurt people. Mm -hmm. But isn't the most important thing to say, what can we learn, if anything, about this situation so that this doesn't happen to another person again? And I think the perfect example of this, uh, and this may be very controversial for me to say this, but the Me Too um, Mm -hmm. uh, campaign, which is a fantastic Mm -hmm. thing, but as consequences are being given to the people who are being outed, Mm -hmm banishing them to an island for the rest of their life mm-hmm. um is it the right thing to do um to have never have communication with that person again right to try to pick their brain and find out what why what yes what if there is a why there right. might not be and i'm sure many of them are psychopaths who will never tell the truth but right. some of them might be people who had a darkness inside them that they didn't have the tools to deal sure. with and they feel tremendous shame and regret and right. they want to understand they want to get help right and and try to see that other people can learn from it you know the the whole fbi profiling thing um most of it was culled from interviews with serial killers. Mm. And if we had just killed them all and never talked to them, we would have never found found out the link between the abuse they experience as children right. um, or the fact that some of them, uh, you're wasting your time talking to them because right. they are incapable of any type of self-honesty and right. just love to manipulate. But shouldn't we at least give it a shot and that requires a, just a sliver of compassion right um yeah compassion and acceptance of of complexity yeah like this is all like he's bad she's good no wait no she's bad he's good yeah. you know uh, i take it back uh, right. you know and let's look at why this happens you know let's talk about what causes these kinds of um behaviors to play out let's talk about mental health like let's talk about empathy and um compassion and boundaries and or maybe uh, also why i find myself incapable of having just a shred of empathy for this person is there something right. in my life that i haven't right. dealt with right yet well it's easier you know the 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 def- people's defenses against their feeling their own hurt and their own pain are very strong um you know they they just might not want to deal because they don't even want to begin to feel like hear about what it might have been like to be victimized or to feel on the other side, you know, so much hatred and anger toward your mother as a child that you end up being a rapist, you know, or assaulting women, you know, in this um, kind of unfettered uh, 
psychological pattern. Um, So, so yeah, I think people, uh, it's easier to box it up, bad, good, not me, you know, um, keep it at arm's length. And yeah, just go on an island. Just go away. Go away. Yeah. We do, we have no interest in the uh, generational abuse that might have happened yeah. in your yeah. in your family, yes, which yes. should never be conflated with uh, giving the thumbs up to what this person of did. Of course, of course. But as you said, th- there's not a lot of modeling in the world for healthy relationships, and there's not a lot of modeling in the world for healthy, you know interpersonal dynamics where you uh where it's okay to talk about what's going on what's really going on you know between you know in an interaction that made one of you feel uncomfortable or the other one get mad or whatever it's not it's not cool yeah and it and it's okay to um love someone you're putting in jail for the rest of their life it's mm-hmm. might even be one of the highest forms of emotional intelligence if you you know can feel that genuinely mm-hmm. uh you know i think of the uh shooting that that happened uh in that church a couple of years ago and um at the man's trial uh, one of the survivors said um i forgive you mm. and i thought that wow. that is an emotionally intelligent spiritual person yeah. that can distinguish between uh the person and the crime that mm-hmm. can see the hurt mm-hmm. emotionally ignorant person mm-hmm. the frightened child in an adult's body sure. that, that that did this yeah yeah and i think it's okay to to hold i mean to me it's I sometimes feel like um, feelings are are like a chord. There's a lot of notes to them. There can be forgiveness and understanding on one level, and then there can there can still also be upset. There can still yes. also be, you know, anger. There, you know, or, or victimization. Why me? Why? Why did? Why was I there? Why and did go you back and me? forth. Yeah, all those things to me can exist at the same time and do very often um that it's like this kind of um like i said a chord like all these different notes on top you know um lined up that all exist at the same time yes and i think if if we don't process the things that we've buried in our life we will never get to experience the freedom of um being able to feel true forgiveness or compassion for people who have wronged us which is mm-hmm. a one of the most freeing things you can experience because uh, hate is one of the biggest hate and resentment are one of the heaviest backpacks to Oof. carry around your entire life yeah um and i do not advocate for telling people you need to forgive this person that is an abusive thing sure. to say to somebody right, right what's more important is to say Hey, let's talk about what you're feeling. Yeah. You know, let's create a, I hate the word, but safe space sure. for this person to, yeah. to let their, their feelings out. And that usually just helps acknowledging that, yes. that those feelings exist. And well, again, it's empathy. It's being heard. It's being mirrored. Oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. That, that's, that's really intense. Like yeah. you went through a lot, you know, just hearing mm. that, um, it helps processing it because you're 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 
your experiences being validated and um, acknowledged. Yeah. It's impossible, I think, to want to um, hear from somebody who's hurt us when we've never been heard. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And we've never right. experienced exactly. That, exactly. that compassion. Right. It's, we have nothing to give. Exactly. We have right. nothing to give. So right. let's get back to your personal uh, struggles. What What were the things that brought you into therapy? Are, uh, actually, before that, are there any more uh, vignettes from your childhood or adolescence that you think um, uh, can paint a picture for us of um, who you are inside? Um. I think I've always been artistic. Like I said, I used to paint and draw and write stories. And then I started singing and then I started acting and then I started writing plays. And then so I've always had some kind of storytelling artistic outlet. Um, and that's really been a constant. Um, and, um, and that was really, uh, encouraged and cultivated by my mother who went through lengths, you know, when we didn't have any money to keep me in the school where I had art classes. And, and I am very grateful for that part um, of my growing up. I think I was very timid. Uh, I was afraid to do things wrong. I was, I was afraid to mess up. Um, are there any examples of where you quote unquote messed up and you look back now and go, wow, did I? I'll tell you, I'll, I will tell you this one story that will probably um, uh, be a succinct way of, of how I felt a lot of the time as a child. I used to go uh, to the public pool. It was a big indoor pool. There were a couple different um, pools. And there was, I used to go to like the public, you know, there were certain hours that you could go swim. And I, the way it worked was you went into the locker room and, uh, you know, the swimming session was like maybe an hour or 50 Mm -hmm. minutes or something. And between the sessions, they, you know, everyone would clear out, they cleaned the pool and then they'd do the new, the the one o'clock session, the two, you know, et cetera. Bring new people into urinate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Probably it was a, it was all ages swim so probably um, so for that you'd go in the locker room you take a shower and then you'd wait in this little vestibule and then they would come and they would unlock the door and they would let everyone into the that session for swimming so when I was in high school a freshman um, I I'd gone to a very small um, private uh, uh, elementary school growing up um, on scholarship. I went to this Waldorf school and then I, the, the public schools in my town were really, really good. And I, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and we said, let's just try the mm-hmm. high school. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a very good school. And it, it is. Um, and so I went, but I went from a class of 12 people to a school of 2000 students and I, you know, so it was, it was a huge, and I didn't know anybody because I didn't go to any of the lower schools in the system. By the way, that was my experience in, from grade school to high school, too, oh. from a class of 40 to 1,300. 
I empathize with you. Yes. And I was four <laughs> foot ten understand. and had glasses. Oh, <laughs> I was the opposite end. I was six foot. Which, and, <laughs> which is that version for women. Exactly. Yeah, yeah but go ahead. Um, oh, we could have been friends. If we could have. <laughs> um, so, I, so I joined the, I, I always love to swim, and I joined the, the swim team. So I... Went to the pool, I went in the locker room, I showered, I got all ready, and I stood in the vestibule. And I stood in the vestibule, and one by one, these girl, other girls came, walked into the vestibule, looked at me like I was crazy, and then just pushed open the door and walked into the swimming area. And I hadn't realized that the door was open. And I hadn't even checked because, and I just was standing there wet and cold and shivering, waiting for someone to come and open the door for me. Wow. What a, what? Yeah. So that's how I grew up. Um, And I think that it's been a, a process of me from in my life in opening the door for myself, or at least fucking checking the lock. <laughs> like, <laughs> or grabbing a towel to warm yourself. I know. The door is locked. I know. And I have so much empathy for that girl that was, you know, that part of that me um, that was so timid and scared um and didn't even check or didn't like and it's funny my sister's very di- i don't want to talk about her too much because she'll probably get mad at me but um my sister was totally different my sister would have like busted like just like mm-hmm. you know just busted out of the door you know um but i know for some reason that was um that that it took a lot of I think that theater and acting helped me put myself out there more and and I was I could put myself out there as a character mm-hmm. and playing a role um and then I think through that I gained a lot more confidence mm-hmm. um and uh and strength th- through that um process of going to to acting school and theater school. Um, so I think I learned a lot of that in college. If you could get in a time machine and go back and talk to that girl in the vestibule, what would you say? Other than the door is open. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell her to not be afraid I would tell her that I know she's been hurt I know she's been sad but you have to keep going And the world is just a process of those ups and downs, and it's going to be okay. And what, if anything, would you have asked her? 
I also would have told her it's not your fault. Um, what would I have asked her? Not, not necessarily for your, your, as an adult knowledge, mm-hmm. but for her to let out. Oh, why are you so scared? And what do you think she would have said? Because I'm afraid I'm going to make people go away. Now you're making me cry. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move to the decision to go to therapy. What was becoming unmanageable? I felt like I... I felt like there was a way to change my situation and I didn't know how to do it. I felt like I was in... Your situation emotionally? No, it was more work. I Mm -hmm. felt like I wasn't breaking through in the way that I knew that I could... And I wanted to look at why. Um, so it wasn't necessarily in a life coachy. Here's here's the the uh, logistical things you need to do. It was more of I feel like there's a, a mental or emotional block that. I, yeah, I felt like I kept ending up in certain kinds of situations where I had all this potential and everyone was rooting for me and on my side, but I was still an underdog. And I I, I knew that there was something that I was probably doing or perpetuating to create that situation. So... I think I learned how to see my own uh, insecurity and and, and um, perpetuating a, a a a place of of, of victimhood and underdog and um, and and understand where that was coming from, so that I could behave differently and um, have the work life and relationships that where I could really thrive and grow and progress. 
<laughs> almost like you were living in the castle uh, and you hadn't, <laughs> you hadn't grabbed your sword and ventured out That's yet. right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, you're yeah. Becoming uh, oh, one of the things my um therapist said to me early on which was uh really inspiring was um you have to become the hero of your own story. Wow. Yeah. And it's so great. It's so inspiring, you know, yeah. to 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 be heroic in your own journey. Yes. Painful things happened. Yes. Um it it it, it was it's was a hard road, you know, being a, a a writer and an artist and there were many lean years, but I had to pick up my sword and fight for myself and um and take on the 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 nobility that there is in being your own advocate your own defender your own leader i I was just talking to a friend last night and i said we are uniquely positioned to be our own best friend Mm-hmm. And yet we become our worst enemy mm-hmm. in terms of how we talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. What a waste. Mm-hmm. What a waste. And mm-hmm. yet it's so difficult to do. Because mm-hmm. I think we take the hardships in life personally. We think mm-hmm. the, it's how the universe views us. Right. Or society views us. Right. When in reality, it's not personal. Right. Who's the one actually yelling at you? in your head (laughs) yeah it's it's, well yeah and then the other thing is you can look at where those voices came from how those were formed is that because you know coming from one of your parents or a, a a sibling or like where how did those voices form and or a part of yourself that that feels that um victimized or you know and then when then you can differentiate that voice and when that voice comes on you're like oh hey i hear you i know where this is coming from i'm really sorry little little daria that that you went through that and that you feel so that was so upsetting to you that you want you know you're you're screaming about it now in my own head you know like you can kind of look at where it comes from and then it's it's almost like those voices are like like little 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 traumatized kids inside you from different experiences and you can you can kind of comfort them and and um and look at the facts on the ground and say i'm not i'm not a trapped uh, child without autonomy exactly i have choices exactly exactly yeah um to to wrap up is there a moment you can share uh post therapy where you felt like oh wow i'm i'm grabbing the sword and i'm i'm advocating for myself this is something that i wouldn't have been able to do and I, well, and I mean an example where you actually killed a human being. <laughs> well i'm I'm not at liberty to discuss <laughs> <laughs> those details um I think that um i'll 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 go deep here um 
my father's death this summer, um, I think, I mean, was extremely painful and I think could have been really debilitating to me. Um, but through therapy and understanding that the hurt and the trauma and the pain was actually, yes, it was triggered in the, in the present with my relationship with him and with, you know, could come up, you know, in other situations, but that the, that the, that the wounds are from the past. And so a lot of the upset that I felt, um, I mean, day to day, he wasn't part of my life day to day. He, you know, he was nearly 87. He had a very long life. He did a lot of things in his life, led a very full life on the surface. It makes sense. It, you know, it's not a, a, it's not like he, he was hit by a car at 36, you know, he, like, um, but what w I was able to differentiate what was so painful about it was the lo the loss that was was from the past. The loss mm -hmm. was from that three four year old girl whose father left and came back and then left again and came back again and le like the 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 aban tantalizing abandoning pattern from that. So I was able to really work with that as it came up. And also be in the present, of course, be sad when a human dies. It's, it's sad. It's the end. It's, it's irreplaceable. A parent is irreplaceable. I, I found just the process of losing a parent very profound. I mean, nothing really prepares you for that experience, but when you become an adult that actually you the loss of the parent you, you hopefully lost the parent in adolescent and became your own adult too so it's kind of like you mean metaphorically metaphorically lost it. yes okay. um uh you know in becoming your own person you you in some way are sort of shedding your your masters and becoming your own mm. you know master as an adult so um so so anyway so i think that with because I had um, an understanding of what was the levels of what was going on, I was able to mourn the loss, but also not get swallowed by it and pulled into the void of the of the pain and the 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 depression of that. Um, core wound i was able to work with it but not get overcome by it well, thank you so so much for uh coming in and sharing your your life um if people want to uh check out your book we'll put a link uh to it on the show notes for this it's called the uh, devil in ohio awesome. and it's uh um, available on Amazon and I imagine a bunch of uh, a bunch yeah. of other places. Barnes and Noble, yeah. Skylight Books. <laughs> awesome, uh, Daria. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Many many thanks to Daria. At, uh, it was a real pleasure talking to her, and uh, I love when I have a guest on that I've never met before, and they uh, they trust me, and they and they open up, and we get a great interview that uh, makes me very happy. Uh, 
I want to tell you guys about Memory Rescue. Learn how to better your brain, including your memory, in the groundbreaking book by New York Times bestselling author Dr. Daniel Amen, titled Memory Rescue. This book offers answers that can improve your memory and decrease your risk of future memory-related problems or diseases. Amen's answers are based on proven clinical results from the tens of thousands of patients he has treated in his clinics across the country. For more information on Memory Rescue, go to MemoryRescueBook.com. Author Dr. Daniel Amen is a board-certified psychiatrist who offers these proven methods to rescue your memory. Get your copy of Memory Rescue today. Available wherever books are sold, in stores, or online. Memory Rescue, because your brain's history does not have to be your destiny. Once again, go to www.memoryrescuebook.com. I want to also give some love to uh, our sponsor, who's been so crucial in uh, keeping us financially uh, afloat uh, this year, um, although not as important as the monthly donors, but um, ZipRecruiter. God bless you for uh, your support this uh, this year. It. Uh, hey, Paul, why don't you shut up and just uh, tell them about ZipRecruiter? Oh, okay. I think I'll do that. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart, its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, you guys can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mental. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mental. One more time. To try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mental mental. I have a big old pile of surveys. I always bite off more than I can chew. Um, and I probably won't be able to get through all of these. Um, but uh, I'm going to try to get through as many as I can, because I think they're all great and helpful. And um, if they don't necessarily shed insight, uh, they bring up some topic um that I think needs to be talked about. This one is from the Psych Ward Experiences and uh, survey, and this was filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself uh, Horses Make My Life Worth Living. And she admitted herself due to several attempts uh, at suicide. Um, and uh, she's in her late teens, and she writes uh, about her experience. Um, it saved my life. It gave me time to relax and have no responsibilities. Don't get me wrong. It was equally as hard and it was equally a hard and awful experience due to the people admitted in there, but it also made me feel, quote, normal in a funny kind of way. 
It was like being a child again. I was coloring and playing small games, reliving the childhood I never had. Thank you for that. Uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me the uh, breadth of experiences that people have had in psych wards. Uh, here's a couple. Uh, just to, And these were written one after another. Um, you know, within minutes or days apart. Uh, so I'm not cherry picking here. Uh, and I'd like to use the word cherry picking a third time before the podcast is over. Uh, this person writes, it was a shameful experience. Having my dad and stepmom and sister having to see me in a mental hospital made me feel ashamed of myself. I did not want them to know I am the way I am. I would imagine that has a lot to do with why you're experiencing so much mental stress is the, the feeling that you can't be your authentic self around them. Another person wrote, good experience. Intensive group therapy, 20 hours a week in the environment gave me the time to pause, which I hadn't had in a while. Lots of people also struggling helped me to feel less alone and everyone was very nice. Another person writes, it was scary. I had to be committed for a few days. I felt isolated and like I was thinking and feeling too much. Another person writes, yes, it helped. Uh, it helped uh, keep me from hurting myself. I felt safe, but was heavily medicated. Group was good, but didn't really touch on what I was needing. Um, and then uh, this one was filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself Thanks, and he had bipolar mania three times, uh, and uh an adverse reaction to blood pressure medication one time. He thought it was mania, uh, but it was not. And he was released after a couple of days. But uh, he writes, when you DVR a show and fast forward through commercials, I believe you can press up to four arrows for the fastest speed. I was at seven arrows and needed to slow down or die. The hospital and lithium helped. I remember standing at the window and watching my wife walk away through the parking lot on the 4th of July. It felt like my life was being sucked away through a straw. I recall being strapped to a gurney and getting a shot and having the lights turned off. A half hour later, they returned and I was still awake. The nurse left the room and complained to a co-worker. We shot him up with enough Haldol to knock out an elephant and it didn't phase him. Other fond memories include playing ping pong with someone that claimed to be a hitman and fearing for my life and being asked out on a date by an anorexic woman and feeling so sad and sorry for her. My most shameful moment was asking a beautiful, confident lady why she was in group since she seemed so confident and she told me that she was raped in a parking lot and had been through 30 reconstructive surgeries and needed help. I have never felt worse or dumber in my life, and I'm very sorry for being abrupt and thoughtless. After my third hospitalization, they recommended alcohol and drug counseling. Not sure what took so long, I've since quit drinking pot and cigarettes, replaced it with yoga, painting, and crystals slash stones for meditating, and it's the best I've ever felt uh, of the bo off the booze, weed, and cigarettes. The cigarettes may have been the most disruptive for my mind. You know, I've always, I've never tried the whole crystals, stones things, because it always just seems so Sedona, you know, uh, sandals and robes, new agey horseshit. But people I res know and respect um, say that there's something to, to crystals. Uh, so maybe I should try it instead of mocking it. 
Uh, and thank you for your, uh, for your survey. I appreciate that. This is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself, is that a Vega or a Pinto? <laughs> so you know he's over 40. Uh, and his happy moment, he writes, I can honestly say very little compares with the joy I get from a drive with my daughter to our favorite sushi joint or bookstore while listening to 1970s hard rock. I love hearing about or witnessing moments where parents are being just present with their kids. They're not trying to fix them. They're not trying to turn them into superhumans or be their best friend, you know, without boundaries. Um, Thank you for that. That was really sweet. This is from the uh, babysitter survey, and this is filled out by a uh, woman who calls herself Ferris Wheel. And uh, she writes, uh, I was a 10 or 11-year-old, and my nanny showed me an X-rated cartoon, a porn version of Snow White or something similar. I remember clearly a scene with a wheel full of tongues that pleased the girl. Um, I can still see that image clearly. I thought it was normal. I felt, quote, grown up because she showed me that film. I wasn't aroused, uh, too young, I think, uh, remembering uh, these things, what feelings come up. I'm worried that she and or her husband abused me and that I don't remember. I feel shame that I didn't have the guts to tell my mother, but I guess I was afraid she would yell at me, so I kept the secret because I thought that wasn't a bad thing. I kept this secret until weeks ago that I mentioned that to my boyfriend. Listening to the podcast helped me to be more open. Thanks about that. Um, do you feel any damage w- was done uh, and she writes, uh, fuck machines are my favorite porn fetish, but not sure if it's because of what happened. Everything felt so natural and harmless that day. That is one of the things that's so mind blowing about the relationship between, um, trauma and how we felt at the time that something happened. And, you know, I always say it's the ripples much more than the event that are the, uh, the tough part. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Amy and about her binge drinking. She writes, like diving into an endless pool of champagne where I never have to feel and I convince myself I'm as good as I pretend to be, uh, about uh, having developmental trauma. She writes, like I'm a 12-year-old dressing in grown-up costumes that somehow I've never fully graduated to an adult, that any kind of intimacy or vulnerability is to be feared because everyone leaves, dies, or hurts you. The world is not safe. And then a snapshot from her life. I won a national award, the biggest one I can get for the job that I do, a true career highlight that I've worked towards for decades. I was on television accepting it. The next day, I saw pictures of of myself on TV and was so disgusted by my own appearance, I spent the next three days locked in my own head in a cycle of thought that just said, you don't deserve this, you're an embarrassment, everyone is embarrassed by how disgusting and fat you are, they pity you, you got this award out of pity. Can you imagine saying that to somebody else? The the fucking things that we say to ourselves, it's... uh, 
And we're, and we're positioned to be our own best friend. And we do just the opposite. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I've, I've mentioned before how uh, when I pick the surveys for, for a given week, there's always some type of theme that kind of presents itself. Um, and uh, incest was the, uh, the theme of the, the um, handful of uh, surveys I went through for this week. Um, and this one is mentioned in a uh, struggle in a sentence uh, survey. Um, I don't normally give uh, trigger warnings because I feel like this podcast essentially would need a trigger warning every five minutes. Um, uh, but this one gets a little bit graphic. Uh, Tiana um, writes a, uh, the snapshot of... Um, well, let me give you a couple of... Uh, struggles she has in addition to being a survivor of incest. About her depression, she writes, I just want to sleep. Um, about her anxiety, everyone is watching and judging. Um, and snapshot from her life uh, that highlights her issues or struggles. Um, and she has dialogue uh, written between her and her brother. Brother, just do it. Me, I don't want you to pee in my mouth. Brother, I won't. Just suck on it. Do it before mom and dad get home. If you lick me, I'll lick you. I can't imagine what was what was uh, what was going on in the house. Uh, aside aside from that, you know, st- of all the surveys I've read and t- people that I've talked to. Um, something like things like this don't don't happen in a uh, in a vacuum. There always seem to be the uh, the result of, s- of some kind of. I don't know. I'm not making any fucking sense. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey that that deals with it. Also, this um, a woman calls herself. Is it though? Is it though? question mark. Uh, she is in her 20s, uh, identifies as bisexual, uh, more leaning towards uh, men, uh, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, I would venture to say more than that. Um, and you'll understand as I read the uh, her survey. Uh, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, my brother had sex with me multiple times, and I don't even remember when it started. Sometimes I initiated it because I knew it felt nice. I remember that at one point I asked him to stop kissing because I found it uh, too intimate, but I didn't know what the rest was, so I didn't know it was wrong. One day, uh, there was a spot on the mattress, and I asked what it was. It was sperm. That moment is staying with me and slightly confirms that it is not my fault, but I still kind of think it is because I don't know how it started and I ask for it sometimes. It's really confusing. Um, The most important thing in the beginning is to give weight to what it is that you're feeling and not worry about culpability or prosecutability or any of that other stuff. Uh, Because a lot of times how you feel about those things will change uh, or crystallize or fade as you begin processing and just giving weight to what it is that you're feeling today 
and having compassion for yourself. Uh, any positive experiences with the abuser? Uh, I love my brother. It's great hanging out with him. He is a great person, but it complicates it because we never talked about it, and I don't know how he thinks about it, and I don't want to talk about it, but it really makes me feel weird. How could it? How could it not? How could it not? Uh, you talk about an elephant in the room. Darkest thoughts. I don't really like sex, uh, how it is now, and don't dare say it to my partner. Uh, what I want in sex because I'm afraid that it's weird because he, he, he sex I used to have, oh, the sex I used to have, was missing a T, was wrong. So probably what I want is wrong as well. No, those two don't compare because you were a child and you weren't consenting and, um, this, the sex with your boyfriend, uh, is con, consenting. Um, and the reason I'm saying it wasn't consenting is because under her darkest secret, she writes, I initiated sex with my brother and sometimes I enjoyed it. And that is wrong. Um, and then she puts in parentheses, he is eight years older. Um, that, that is not two siblings experimenting with, with each other. That's just simply not. Um, and, um, but more important than trying to classify any of this is just please go process this with somebody who's equipped and is knowledgeable about sexual abuse. Um, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Uh, It was, uh, I was sexually abused, it was incest, and it wasn't my fault. I want to say it and want to believe it, but I just don't believe it. And like my life is fine now, so why destroy someone else's life? This isn't about you destroying your brother's life. This is about you saving yours. This is about you taking care of you. Um, And what you just described, I want to believe it wasn't my fault. Um, That is one of the biggest hurdles in healing from sexual trauma. Almost every survivor I know, myself included, we tell ourselves, I was partly to blame or I'm making too big of a deal or I don't want to hurt the person that did it to me. Just start processing it with somebody else and don't future trip about what it's going to lead to or any of that. Um, But thank you for your, thank you for your survey. Um, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by, uh, moaning Lisa and she writes about her PTSD. I'm on a roller coaster full of people, but I'm the only one screaming. Oh, that is so good. Uh, about, uh, experiencing racial or cultural bias. I have to prove I'm worth your attention. I can't imagine how fucking exhausting that must be and having probably anxiety every time you're in a situation where you feel like I have to I can't fuck up here because then I'm going to play into some idea they have of a group of people or me Uh, this is a happy moment filled out by I'm your grandma now And she writes, when I was about elementary school age, my grandmother, Mimi, 
would always read stories to me, which fostered my love of reading. As I grew older, I became more distant and didn't like the story sessions so much anymore, so she read to me less and less. With a lack of visitors and being chair-bound, Mimi's mental health had been on the decline, with a rapid increase in Alzheimer's symptoms. Recently, though, I was taken to a mental facility that highly traumatized me and made me realize just how important my family was to me. I was living out of state when this happened. I convinced my family to move Mimi into an assisted living facility down the block from us, where I visit her three or more times a week. I know how hard it must be there for her, based on my own experience, but I found an immense joy in being able to spend time with her again. This time, though, I'm the one getting to read stories to Mimi. That's beautiful. It's amazing how there can be such beauty in things that on the surface are horrible. And that's kind of life. That's That should be the dysfunctional Christmas ornament is a, uh, a Godiva uh, chocolate uh, wrapped in dog shit. And that's, and it just says life. I can't imagine that selling very well. But I would like to see the pitch meeting at Godiva. Hey, folks, please hear me out. Hear me out. No, stop checking your shoes. It's the, it's the ornament I'm holding. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by, uh, Frances and about her depression. She writes, Uh, She has major depressive disorder. Life is just unloading the dishwasher and folding laundry and changing your tampon every day until you die. What's the point? That is one of the greatest descriptions of depression I think I've ever read. Uh, I remember when my depression was at its worst, looking at a dish, uh, a, a sink full of dishes and thinking, I will kill myself before I wash those. That that is what an effort everything felt like. That that feeling is why I wound up going to get help. I could no longer deny that something was not right with me. When it's like dishes or suicide and you have to think about it. Uh this is the other uh shaman secret survey that I alluded to uh, that deals with uh, incest. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Silent Angel. Um, She is straight in her 20s, raised in a stable and safe environment. Um, I would uh, would question that. Um, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, When I was a child, my sister taught me that if I hump my hand, it feels good. She eventually had me laying down while she humped me. We took turns on each other. I didn't know this was wrong until I mentioned it to my same-aged cousin who was mortified by it. My memory is obviously fuzzy, but I definitely remembered that. And also, in sixth grade, my sister uh, asked, Remember what we used to do when we were younger? To which I replied, No, and went into my room. Uh, she's been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, I was abused in a past relationship. Uh, back to the childhood thing. Two weeks ago, my grandpa died suddenly. I went home for a week to help out. I was at the local bar getting drunk with my cousin. She said to me, I think your sister sexually abused my brother. This freaked me the fuck out. They have a 10-year age difference. I believed that this behavior was only between us all these years. 
I had a memory a few days ago of her humping my brother while he cried. My mind is racing, thinking about everything my sister has done to my family up until today. I'm worried there is possibly something wrong with me and that I'm misremembering. It would seem really unlikely that you're misremembering all all of this stuff. Um, any positive experiences with the abuser? I currently live with my sister. She makes me keep her secrets and do because I don't want to upset my mother. Darkest thoughts. I fear that my sister is molesting her son or abusing him in a mental way. Darkest secrets. I'm worried about my brother and whoever else my sister may have abused. My brother is openly gay, and I fear this has something to do with our childhood. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Lesbian fantasies. Uh, it makes me feel gross. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would ask my brother if he remembered anything about our sister when we were young. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want to stay sober and finish nursing school so I can support myself. Have you shared these things with others? Just a little bit with my cousin. It went all right because we were drunk, but she was uh, well-receiving. How do you feel after writing these things down? I don't feel like I'm answering the questions correctly, but it's kind of healing. Um, <laughs> any comments to make the podcast better? I'm a new listener, but so far, so good. The dude has a soothing voice. Um there's no right or wrong to filling out the questions and you're I wouldn't have picked your survey if it if I didn't find uh it moving or compelling or um important to to talk about there's so many important surveys that you guys fill out that I don't even I could never even get to um so trust me there's any survey that I am reading on the air is definitely uh, by, uh, whatever, is great in terms of helpful to people who are listening or, uh, just, I think I'm getting near the end of my, uh, my survey stamina. Um, I've just got a couple more. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Stevie, and she writes about her anxiety. I love this one. Like somebody stuck a fork in my light socket. Fuck, that is good. About her OCD. Why use the fidget cube that I bought on Amazon when pulling out my hair is free? Uh, about experiencing racial or cultural bias. Like being a nervous chihuahua, putting up with everybody's pets and backhanded compliments. Um... And this is a good one, and we've never had somebody fill one out about this, but uh, the struggle of being out of work, trying to curate your day like you're a preschooler in daycare to keep you busy while drowning in online applications and sadness. Snapshot from her life, sitting on the couch, huddled up with my space hater, crying because I haven't gotten an interview, only to realize that I have eight hours before my husband gets home and I have no plans for the day. That has got to be agonizing when you don't get an interview or you don't get a job and you don't know if it's because of your skin color or gender or religion, or that, 
That has to be so incredibly draining. Um, oh, you know, here's something that I wanted to mention. Uh, in the interview with uh, Daria, uh, I talked about the uh, a little bit about the Me Too campaign and how um, I thought that we should um, try to find out uh, what what is creating people that are that are perpetrating uh, these abuses, and I, I just want to clarify. Because after I finished editing the edit episode, I thought, you know, if I didn't explain myself clearly, it's gonna, I'm going to really sound like an asshole. So let me just reiterate what I was trying to say in that, which is that instead of just dealing with this in a surface level, let's... May, obviously, make the workplace as safe as possible. See that people are given consequences for their behavior. But let's let's find out what it is creating people who who are doing this, and see if there's a way that we can, as a society raise kids or teenagers or whatever so uh so this doesn't happen i'm obviously never going to be able to eradicate it but at least make it uh not so common you know i've shared many times on the podcast about how objectifying i was of women for much of my life um and and how much shame i feel about it today. And I like to think that I'm an intelligent, compassionate person. Uh, and I couldn't see what what I was doing. So I guess my point is, let's not just write people off as they're born evil and there is nothing to learn from them. They're just, uh, you know, I hope I explained myself. And if I didn't... Uh, So be it. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Kat and about her depression. She writes, like, everything is the same and I have nothing to say about it. That one, when I read this, at first I thought, oh, that one's okay. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, that I think is the best description of depression I have ever read because it's that vagueness, that gray. Everything blends into everything else. Nothing is clearly defined. It's just like, it's just a fog. And I would feel the same way, you know, sweeping the floor that I would with somebody uh, complimenting me or, um, you know, getting a nice paycheck. It was just like being enclosed in a in a plexiglass box where you can't feel a difference between anything and it's you can't find the words to say it thank you for that one um I fucking love this one this is an awful awful some moment filled out by sad sack sam and um 
She writes, when I was 10, my parents took my sister and I to Disneyland. It turned out to be one of the worst and most memorable family vacations. Uh, by the way, there's a, a survey also called uh, uh, Vacation Arguments, and I would say probably one out of every 10 of those involved Disneyland. Anyway, uh, my parents were fighting the whole time, and at one point, my angry stepdad threw water on me to top it off. At the end of the night, as the fireworks went off and the classic Disney song, When You Wish Upon a Star, played, I heard my mom coldly say, dreams don't come true. How fucked up am I that that brought me joy, that that made me giddy reading that? I guess because it reminds me that I'm not alone in having having uh, that that uh, fucking never know when the shoe is going to drop in the house growing up. Never knew when the the smiles were going to turn to criticism and negativity and being smothered and cornered and treated like an object. Uh... This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Ella May, and she writes, I suffer from anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder. Um, Though I managed to keep that holy trinity under control most days, two nights ago I had another binging episode and came very close to purging. I listened to the mental pod always... Listening to the mental pod always sets me on the right path again, so I turned on the podcast in my effort to fight the urge to purge. I ended up not purging in the end because I realized something that made me start laughing way too hard to throw up. There I was, cracking up, staring into the depths of my toilet, thinking, 15 years ago, teenage me never would have predicted that on some days, her future self's only source of comfort would be the guy from dinner and a movie. How do I not read that? I'm in it. I get mentioned. Even if she throws me under the bus, I got to read it. It's a chance to talk about myself because I, having an hour and a half to talk about myself is not enough. And then finally, this is a, a happy moment filled out by uh, Nissa, And... Um, she writes, uh, I started seeing a therapist after a, and this one's bittersweet, uh, I started seeing a therapist after a date rape. I was fiercely guarded about emotions and had this compulsion to keep it together. I'd go to school, go to work, etc., and appear functional to most, then get home and the mask would come off and often the scissor blade came out. For the first year of therapy, I was very matter-of-fact and rather guarded. I'd talk like I was talking about a chemistry test. I eventually opened up a bit more with the gory details. One session, my therapist said something I never forgot. She sat me down and said gently, You know, you always seem so collected. It's okay to cry or show emotion. I shrugged. Eh, there's just kind of this wall there to keep it together. Let's try and take down that wall, she said gently. It was then that I realized it was okay not to be okay. I agreed. I guess it's like when you nick your hand chopping celery and you bleed. It's messy and scary, but bleeding is healthy. If I didn't bleed, that would mean trouble. Exactly, she replied. It was then that I confirmed I could trust her. 
and therapy sessions became much less likely to trigger diarrhea. With his new outlet, stopping cutting was natural. It stuck with me. It's okay not to be okay and made me much less afraid to reach out afterward, be it on an anonymous hotline or a friend who knows the whole story. Thank you for that. It's so important to be reminded. I I so often, when I'm in a bad mood, want to try to think of something to change my mood instead of just, you know, taking a deep breath and knowing it's going to pass and just let it pass because it always does. Uh, And how do I not read a survey that mentions diarrhea in a happy moment? That alone. How do you not end the podcast on that one? But, uh, yeah, for anybody out there that uh, feels like what you're feeling right now is wrong and you're weak for it or this isn't how it should be, um, just for right now, it's okay not to be okay. And uh, if you reach out and start asking for help from qualified people or safe friends, things will get better. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And why would the guy from dinner in a movie lie to you? Huh? He made lasagna for the movie Stripes. You know he's a solid guy. Well, I hope you heard something on this episode that uh, brought you comfort, made you laugh, turned on a light bulb, helped you fall asleep. I know a lot of people listen to the podcast. It helps them sleep. I'm going to pretend that that's a compliment. Uh, No, I know it's a compliment. They find it That dude has a soothing voice. Oh, God, I hope she wasn't talking about mean DJ voice. That would crush. That would crush me. We have uh, 20 seconds until we're at exactly two hours, so I think I need to talk about Herbert's butthole. I miss his butthole. Uh, Herbert was my dog that died in May, and we used to joke about his butthole because there was an episode where I tried to stretch to three hours once, and I ran out of things to talk about, and I looked down at Herbert, and I started talking about his butthole. There we are. We're at two hours. Thanks for listening. You are not alone. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.